0: Hello and welcome to the Say What Is Truth podcast with me, your host, Joni Haas. My guest today is one of my dearest friends. I love her so much. Her name is Mercedes M. Yardley. I'm using her full name because uh, she's an author and I really want you guys to check her out if you're so inclined. She writes horror, um, but don't be afraid. Uh, we talk a little bit in the interview about how you don't need to be afraid of the horror genre. It doesn't necessarily mean slasher. Uh, I think that you really should check her out. Uh, again, her name is Mercedes M Yardley. She is one of the most fascinating, dearest people in my life, and uh, I loved, I loved this interview. Um, Like I said in a previous interview, the best way to support an author other than purchasing their works is to leave them ratings and reviews, uh, whether that be on Amazon or wherever else you're buying their stuff. Anytime you leave a rating for someone, um, especially if it's a five-star rating, that boosts their visibility. Um, There's a certain metric that Amazon uses, and when people get a certain amount of ratings and reviews, then um, it really gets... The word out to other people so I would encourage you to read Mercedes stuff but even if you don't uh, she is just a delightful person she is one of my favorite people ever she lives in Las Vegas I live near Salt Lake and so uh, I didn't know when I'd ever be able to get this interview but I was lucky enough that she came into town for a writing conference and I went and hung out with her um Forgive me for fangirling so hard at the beginning and sort of making sort of a clunky entrance. It's funny, we're very close friends and yet I still um, got a little bit like starstruck about interviewing her. It was silly, but um, I really think that you will get... I I can't imagine anyone not just being so fascinated by her story. So without further ado, here's Mercedes. Mercedes. we have been already talking for like two two hours hours. (laughs) (laughs) and um i i will admit i feel super awkward holding this big fat summer sausage microphone in my hand because we're sitting on a bed instead of not a table this is professional (laughs) this (laughs) works (laughs) super professional (laughs) I, we're we're like under a weighted blanket. <laughs> I and keep offering you all these extra pillows. I'm like, hey, come in my room and record. But uh, so this is my friend Mercedes that we're with, who lives six hours away from where I live, and just happened to be in the vicinity, and invited me for a fun sleepover, here, slumber party. So we're in the bedroom of this Airbnb because it has the fewest. Um, uh sound reflective surfaces so i think this is right go- <laughs> and it feels nice and intimate so. yeah this is great <laughs> anyway i'm so glad that we got to hang out whether we recorded a podcast or not i'm so glad that we got to hang me out because you're one you. of my favorite people on Thank the you. whole planet you make me so happy oh, when you're my- like
1: hey can i maybe visit i was like yes please get here right now I'm <laughs> like are Can you, I sleep over?
0: <laughs> are you peopled out? And I'm like, no, I, I need my Joni. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my gosh. So, um, background about us. The reason that I first came to know who you were was because I was judging for the Whitney Awards, which is um, a LDS writers-run writing contest for published books. And so um, I was judging the Speculative contest speculative meaning any type of fiction that could not happen in the real world be it fantasy sci-fi paranormal what's the word etc i'm like example example (laughs) no (laughs) um and so i read one of your books and i'm like i do not know who this girl is but i love this book so then I sought out more of your books and I'm like, I wish I knew this person. This, And then I saw you at a conference once and just saw you walk by knowing who you were. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that is the coolest person I, that I don't know, <laughs> but people are talking to. <laughs> and uh, And then later, years later, the... Um, LDS Storymakers group was setting up mentors and mentees. And I saw you say, I'll be a mentor. And I jumped right, it was like right after you left that comment. And I was like, I don't know that I even need a mentor, but I want to be your friend so bad. And so someone was like, okay, hey, Mercedes is your mentor now. And the rest is history.
1: Which was ridiculous because you don't need a mentor, but we
0: were like Insta buddies. I know. Like it, the that second fast. we even started talking about anything, I was like, you're kidding. You too? It was like these weird, weird connections where I'm like, we're made out of the same star stuff like this person.
1: (laughs) I'm so glad I met you. I'm so glad that I dragged you to
0: uh, lunch at that right that first time that we met each other that was that was funny too because i was still a little bit starstruck like oh oh geez it's just me yeah (laughs) and uh and then i went to that conference and we just about died on the escalator
1: the escalator what what was going on people weren't getting off fast
0: enough yeah and it was like backing up and people were getting squished and hurt yes it was like there was like a huge backup at the bottom of the escalator and and people were just like ramming into one another and we got caught in the crush and it was like like legitimately
1: frightening yeah. not just
0: like oh isn't this fun but like there was pain and people were getting hurt and so I'd only met you in real life for like 20 minutes and you just grabbed my hand and said we're going to lunch we're leaving <laughs> and you took me along with one other friend and and we just had like this most delightful conversation and now we hang out in real life now we like I travel and see each other I and stuff Oh. So Yay! here are some things that I love about you. Um, you write horror, which um, not not exclusively horror, but that's kind of your that's MO, my, yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. And like whimsical horror that I love. And you um, you have this super unique way of seeing the world that is uh, at once sort of dark and light at the same time does that make sense what I'm saying it it makes sense to me i know but. <laughs> you, because i feel like um you have experienced r- true darkness and yet you yourself are a constant kind light and it and and you you draw people to you even while wanting to sometimes repel people from you <laughs> because people can be so dumb and uh and so um yeah so tell me uh I don't know this is weird usually I I go in a lot smoother but now I do feel like maybe because you're I I do fangirl over you a little bit that I'm doing this kind of intro thing that I don't usually do that's so funny
1: well so (laughs) well it's it's super cool to hear like because we are such good friends it's cool to hear you like say this is what I like about you because we do that in our conversations with each other, right. but kind of not. So it's, I don't know. It, it does, it does feel cool and
0: it, it's intro-y, but not, but, um, yeah, we, I know that we've connected, we've connected over writing, but we, we've connected over the fact that we both, um, have dealt with depression and we, yeah. we know that, that darkness. Um, and we've also connected over, um, kind of being the black sheeple in the LDS church. Right. Know, where we both are faithful and we both are believing but sometimes have differing perspectives. Oh my gosh. So I just have to for anyone listening, I I have these podcasting microphones which are normally sitting on a table and we have <laughs> disconnected them from their stands and we're just holding them like a person would hold a microphone. But they're like three and a half inches in diameter and so it's, it's like talking it's, into a baguette yes, is what it's it is. like <laughs>
1: it's very awkward. and we made all the obscene <laughs> jokes before we started we'll just we'll just say that oh right my gosh now. <laughs> i think
0: this is hilarious but um yeah so like i'm interested to know uh I feel like you've had very, very interesting life experiences. In fact, sometimes when I'm hanging out with other people, I'll be like, oh, my gosh, my friend Mercedes, she is like the most interesting person I've ever met. And I'm sure that I yeah, you're shaking your head because to you, it's just your lived experience. But can you can you recognize why I would think that and Uh, say that it's
1: stupid? It's stupid some of the things that have happened my my mother whom you know loves me more than anyone will tell me like your life is a cartoon strip your life is a comic strip and if I didn't see it I wouldn't believe it because we just have all these weird things that happen like um the scorpion thing. I was yep. stung by a scorpion a couple years ago. Not
0: just stung by a scorpion, but... Yeah, that then, wouldn't be enough. Then allergic to it. Yes. I was not all people are. Yeah,
1: I was, I was barefoot in my kitchen doing dishes, which, you know, is supposed to be the thing you're supposed to do. <laughs> and a scorpion stung me on the top of my toe, just like walked by and... Nyeh! And um, usually they're... I mean, they're always bad, but usually you can elevate your feet or whatever and you're fine, but... I ended up driving myself to the ER and I fell out of the car and they put me in a wheelchair and then they strapped me down and my body started moving. Like my legs started walking, like I was strapped down on my back, but my legs started moving like they were walking. And then my, my, I'm I'm showing Joni, like the rest of you can totally see, (laughs) like my wrist started twisting and then my eyes started moving and they realized that I had an allergy and I ended up having two vials of antivenin and woke up like the next day or later that day or something. They had, I totally had gone into seizures and, yeah. And I'm still dealing with the effects like years later. Yeah, yeah. It's done
0: weird things with your eyes. Yeah,
1: it kind of blew my eye out and my um, it's it's lame. Yeah. And then
0: I (laughs) then I hit my head right and
1: got like a concussion and then I couldn't remember. I still and that was like a year ago. I still have problems like counting down backwards. Like really? Yeah. Like, Nina will be like, hey, mom, count me down from something. And I'll be like, 39, 37. And she's like, you forgot, 38. And I'm like, just stop it. I'm your mother. (laughs) Just stop pointing out all my. But so, you know, dumb, stupid things. I mean, lame things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you're the mother of um, a disabled child. Is disabled the correct word to say? Yeah. Is is that? Yeah. You
1: can say disabled, a child with disabilities. Okay. Yeah.
0: Who is, by the way, so so sweet? He loves (laughs) Joni.
1: If he could kiss Joni's face every day, for and he's sixteen, and he's handsome, and and he's like scruffy little oh, I know face, (laughs) scruffy little beard. (laughs) My husband shaves him every Sunday, so if you catch him on Sunday or Monday, you're good. And the rest of the week, you're like no. He has Williams syndrome and autism, so he has to do a du- dis- dual disability. And what's kind of funny about that is, is Williams syndrome has a whole bunch of um, physical characteristics, like uh, you know, heart issues and elastin issues, and um, but they're known for being super talkative right. and being able to like just talk your like ear off,
0: ultra social,
1: ultra yeah. social, yeah, and just overwhelmingly social. And then you have. Autism, which you know makes it difficult for him to talk, so he's 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 not he's he's not in either camp. He doesn't he's an outcast he's in, in whichever camp, camp he is. Yeah. He's in Camp Nico. Yes, that's his name. Camp Nico. <laughs> he's still oh, in goodness. his
0: whispering phase. Oh yeah. yeah, he started
1: whispering about two years ago, and he won't use his full voice, and we don't know why. But they are getting him at school his own Chromebook with mm. tight ty- because he types well with um, text to talk. So he can like do 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 do, and it will say what he wants. And I'm like, Nico, you can, you can talk, you can use your voice. You used to do that, I remember. And yeah, he's, his voice is deep, like your son's voice is right, deep. Right.
0: Like, but so when he types, um, is he able to express more complete thoughts than when he speaks?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So he's
0: that s- is so fascinating to me it's to crazy. know that there's more going on in there, but there's a disconnect when yes. it comes to vocalizing. Like he'll he'll. Talk and he'll be like, goldfish. I I want
1: goldfish, but he'll type like, mom, please get me the goldfish from on top of the fridge.
0: Wow, it is like
1: complete day and night, and that it's is
0: amazing. Yeah,
1: and it, it's it's weird because it makes me wonder how much you know he's really absorbing, and mm-hmm. you know because we, people kind of tend to talk about him or to him or around him like he's not there, and right. I'm like, you no, you need to you know you need to keep your keep it appropriate because. Yeah. You know, he's absorbing all sorts of I, stuff.
0: I watched a little documentary thing about a girl who was really severely autistic and was completely nonverbal, but could express herself very clearly in very articulate ways when she would type. And she would just say like it there's just something about when when I want to get the sound out, it won't it won't come out. You know, that's,
1: you know, I had this friend in in, in uh, college and she would say, and she was very slow with typing and very slow with talking, but she would say, I'm thinking at a level as fast as everybody else, but it's taking oh me gosh, so long. That would long, be so frustrating. Right? And everybody treated, and she didn't have, I mean, she had that, that problem speaking, but she didn't have like, any cognitive issues. And she's like, it drives me crazy. The people treat me right like I have this like severe intellectual disability. She's like, I just get the words out slowly.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, she's like, my brain's like, bzzz. my brain's like paragraphs ahead of where my mouth is.
0: And So I, I've heard you say that you, um, you'll call it being accident prone. But honestly, out of every person I've ever known in my life, you seem to have the most mis like daily misfortune of anyone. <laughs> That's like I such know. a good way to put it. Like, like um, um <laughs> you, I'm wondering, like, have you been cursed or um you know, like what is your theory on why these things tend um, to happen? And i I'll, I'll give it I'll give examples. I'll get on Facebook and you will say, My car has broken down and the school called, oh, yeah. and somebody's head is bleeding, and I had a dentist appointment, and you know the right. anesthesia didn't take, or like it's never just one no, thing. No, it's never,
1: it's never just one and, thing. And
0: I mean, I made up the anesthesia thing, but the car breaking down yeah. and the school calling that happens, yeah, fairly frequently. Yeah, the but school- there's always <laughs> some bizarre. I'm always like, what's happening in Mercedes' life today? And it would be funny if it weren't for the fact that you're actually living these things. That it's real. Like all the time.
1: You know, my my family always called it Murdoch Luck. Um, growing up, that was my maiden name, Murdoch Luck. And they would they'd just be like, oh, it's Murdoch Luck. But my aunt fully believes that we are cursed and has given me, I think maybe so I told So it's not you, just
0: you. It's your whole family. Um, I have the worst <laughs> of the family. Now, if um, I didn't know you so well, I would be like, okay. She's making this She's thoughts. doing something. She's drawing this. She's a drama queen oh, or whatever. But <laughs> no, these things are genuinely just weirdly happening to yeah. you. Like the getting bitten by a scorpion in your kitchen or yeah. like, but it seems like it's a nonstop parade of things. What's <laughs> Am I, am I overgeneralizing? No, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I hate to admit it because it
1: makes me think about it, but you're right. And what's so funny is my husband is the golden boy, mm-hmm. and um, nothing ever happens to him. He's like, oh, hey, I won a contest today, or I won this drawing today, and I'm like, oh, well good for you. Like, you know, I'm upright and that is what we can expect I, I got today.
0: injured today. <laughs> several so times. Broke my toe. Yeah.
1: Like one time um, I was holding a glass. I was just holding a glass and it shattered in my hand and I wasn't like squeezing it or anything. And, <laughs> and I had like a whole series of broken glass. We called it the, the, we were calling it like the 1000, um, Days of broken glass or something, because every day there was something, you know, the back door shattered out. But I'm holding a drinking glass in my hand and just, you know, and just like broke, and I'm I'm like, w- w- what, you know? And Luke comes home and is like I want a kayak or you know. <laughs> I'm like, how can this be? I wish we would
0: cancel each other out, but it, but it, no, no. So I'm like, do you feel as though there really is like some kind of External force in your life, or that you're just, you just keep having some bad luck? I I, mean, and when I say luck, I don't even mean anything. I just mean chance.
1: I, I don't know. I like to think that maybe it's a thing like Job, and I'm supposed to grow from the adversity. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of negative cosmic power out there just because it seems to be so unrelenting um, but I don't know it, but it, it's
0: constant it's been constant for years I yeah. mean I'm exhausted yeah <laughs> you know no, I'm I, I mean I truly sometimes uh, you know I'll be praying and I'll be like help mercy. <laughs> Day. Like that poor just, thing. Can she just have a day? Just
1: like, like like one time, I think I told you this the time I was hit by a school bus, right? I was sitting or I was standing on the sidewalk um with all the other parents to pick up my kids, you know. I had my youngest daughter in a stroll and a bus just like backed into me and knocked me, it would've knocked me down, except some guy grabbed me and kinda held me upright. And I'm like, I'm standing here with like twenty people and a bus just backed into me somehow and nobody else. And it just seems you know, just lame things, but they seem so consistent that it's kind of hard to keep that positive. Yeah. Yeah. It's so like, how do I just you? want to lay in bed. You know, I have kids.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I have to get up. Um, I feel sorry for myself sometimes, but... Try not you also to. Also,
0: don't sleep, which oh, is that's another. So true. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, if at any time Darren will be, uh, he'll wake up at two in the morning and see that I'm texting and he'll be like, Are you texting Mercedes? Because you're yeah. the only person that I would be texting at like I know. two in the morning. <laughs> you and I have some great conversations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, how, just... how do you. Um, and also because you do have depression, yeah. like how do you stay functional?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, f- sometimes I function at the very lowest level. Like right now I'm kind of coming out of probably the worst depression I've had in a long time. And it's been probably six or seven grinding months, you know, you, um, Joni actually came down and visited me, um. Because I was so sad, and it she's was like, "Getting
0: really bad."
1: And yeah. I love that you just packed up and came.
0: Um, take I take one second and turn your gain down just a little bit, just like, like okay, like that. Is that better? Yes, thank you. Uh-huh. Sorry if we were blasting. I, I I'll get this. <laughs> I'll get this balance thing down. But, I just
1: I just have so much to say and I have to say it loudly. So,
0: <laughs> anyway, but yes, you were having like um in December. Uh, I was I felt like. I didn't feel like you were saying, like, someone please help me. But I just, it it did feel like you were having a huge string of just downer things happening over and over. And that you were, you weren't saying, I'm overwhelmed, but it looked overwhelming. Well,
1: and you know me well enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that you were just like, hey, I'm going to come down. And that gave me something to look forward to and you sat with me while we you know wrote and and brainstormed ideas and you know because that's what I that's what I do that's well, I write and you
0: know right and you know for me writing is very much a um just it is very hobby I don't have deadlines that loom I can write when I want or not write I don't rely on it for income and um, you are a point in your career where you will have people request, will you please join this project? Right. Will you do this? And then you, um, and not only that, you do editing and you do, do a lot of different things where there are deadlines that people right. expect from you, and, and so and you can let
1: someone down,
0: you right, know, right? And yeah. you have you have an agent who's like, I'm um, so would really love to have a novel. When's yes, that I'm sure she would. Hi, Italia. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I have the luxury of if I don't feel like it, I don't have to, but I could I could see that you were that that pressure was also mounting, and I yeah I felt for you.
1: Thank because you.
0: I do know that um, the pressure to be creative can be yeah. so difficult, especially when you're in a spiral. Like, it's it's one thing to say, I I must put one foot in front of the other. And another to say, I must be brilliant. Yeah, I must create.
1: <laughs> like, I can get up. I can get up because I have to get up. I have, you know, three kids and I have to get my kids to school. And I have to get them fed and I have to make sure that they feel loved and I can do those things. And that's hard enough, but it's like, okay, now draw out of this dry well and create something that will move people. And it's, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to write and create when you're in in such a deep depression. And I, um, I get it badly. I'm, I'm, I'm suicidal almost all of the time. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't know and a lot of people don't want to know because Mm -hmm. that's really uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm LDS, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so I'm a faithful person and I go to church and you're taught there that you're supposed to be happy. It's the plan of happiness, serve others and you'll be happy. And it was really devastating for me to be like, I'm trying to do all the things I'm supposed to be doing. I'm praying, you know, pray the depression away Exercise the depression away. Think positive thoughts, Joni, and the count depression your blessings. will go away. Just count your count. blessings. You have Don't so be many. ungrateful. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing all those things, and I'm still sad. So what is wrong with me? What, why am I not doing this right? And how am I screwing this up? And seeing how my depression is affecting my kids is the worst. My husband is an adult and can take care of himself, and he hates to see me sad But it's not like my little daughter that made me a card that says, I know you're always sick and sad. I love you, Mom. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I'm like, she shouldn't have to know that. Or my 12-year-old saying, Mom, how many days have you worn those pajamas in a row? That is horrifying. Mm -hmm. So I can um, pull myself together for that if I need to. But sometimes I need someone to kind of, you know, like when you kind of came and just kind of hung out for a little bit. Just to be like, okay, you can do this, and I am by you while you do this. Because mm-hmm. it's it's hard. And people that don't experience it just kind of think you're being lazy or melodramatic. Right.
0: And I think another thing that is really hard for people who have not experienced that thing is they may recognize that someone they know and love is going through that, but they don't know what to do. Right. And so I think their instinct is often to start being like, but look at this blessing you have. Look at this, which is not helpful. Yeah, it makes you feel <laughs> even more guilty really, than you already were. It, Thanks. It really. is. And so I, I, I did feel. I mean, I was I was coming for the the selfish reason that I wanted to see you, but it felt like a good excuse that I'm like, she looks like she's drowning. So if I can just. I can't save her from drowning, but I can maybe hold her hand while she's drowning.
1: (laughs) Which was exactly what I needed. Because for me, like when you're feeling depressed, you feel so unlovable. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: How can you love me when I'm like this? How can you love me when I hate everything about myself? I'm failing at everything. I'm making dinners, but they're like, you know, barely scraping by sort of dinners. And I don't know why this is. I don't know if it's like a a female thing or something that we've been taught or an American thing, but I've always felt like I have to earn my love.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, like I have to make myself useful and you will love me because of the things I can provide. I love other people as they are, but for me, I have to earn your love. And so I'll be really, really depressed and I'll cry to my husband and say like, I don't know why you haven't walked away from me yet. I can't, I'm not functioning. I can't do anything. And he's like, I just love you. You don't have to earn my love, and to you know, to me that's the magic mm-hmm. thing for him to say, "I love you," as this weird sobby mess. And this isn't you. This is depression. This isn't Mercedes. Right. This is the the depression talking, and Mercedes is in there, and you're not one in the same.
0: Because- Which I think that for me was my absolute turning point in my depression because i i've i've dealt with it my entire adult life i can recognize that the symptoms first started coming on when i was about 15 16 Mm -hmm. same here Mm -hmm. but um it wasn't until uh, geez well i i didn't even have a diagnosis until i was 24 so until then i just thought i sucked at life right like i didn't know that there was Anything different about me? All I knew is that other people were functioning, and I was crying all the time, and the simplest tasks felt impossible. Absolutely, and I hated myself. Impossible, yeah. But even after I had a diagnosis, it took me a really long time to be able to recognize um, that I am not depression, and depression is not me. It is a thing that I experience. But those feelings aren't who I am, which is very difficult because when you're in the depths of it, they feel like the truest thing there can be. Right. And so to be able to cognitively separate yourself from that can be a huge hurdle. And then to have to do it repeatedly day right. after day, month, right. year, uh, decade, you know. where's you wears you out
1: and i think that's like where other people can come in like i need you and i need my husband i need people to remind me this isn't you this yeah. is the disease talking because i i am the disease you know i am and and it's like no this isn't you this 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 voice in your mind right now is not a good voice right. that's this and because when you get so wrapped up in it sometimes you forget right and in like your lucid moments like with with the you know the the thoughts of suicide In my lucid moments, I would not do that. Right. I would not do that to my family, to my children, to my spouse. I would not do that. And I can see people that are like, I can't believe you think that way. But in those moments when you're feeling like that, it doesn't feel like you're getting back at anybody. It doesn't feel like, okay, I'm going to selfishly take my life. Right. It It feels like you're doing someone a favor. The best favor you could possibly do for them. Yeah, you're like, I'm going to remove myself from this equation so that my spouse can marry someone who oh is
0: happy. That's how, that's how I know that that's what it is. Because when we have the same lie that I can identify with so perfectly, right. then you're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, someone's telling us the same lie. Yeah. It's a lie. Right. And it's not...
1: It's not the voice of God. No, <laughs> you know? it's not. Yeah. And so I really take um, offense. Well, not offense. It really disturbs me greatly when people are like, oh, someone well, so took their life. That's that's so selfish. Yes. And I'm like, that's said by a person that has never felt that way. Yes. Because you feel like the kindest thing you could do is just take yourself out and then your your children will miss you, but they'll have a mom that can fully function Absolutely. and take care of them. Like they need to, you know, they won't have to look after you. The mom will look after them. My husband will be so sad for a while until he finds, you know, this
0: this wife that can be the support that I can't always be. I've described it as being, I feel like, cancer. Right. And if we can remove the tumor, yes, that surgery will hurt for a while. Th- for a while. But then you can heal and you can be whole without that tumor Dragging you down, making right. you sick, which is what I have felt like in my life, um, and I—I I, I don't know. I—I I have undergone something where um, I can—I still feel that pull, but um, I don't get that same ideation that I used to. Because I don't know. I suddenly think I'm a rock star. I don't know how that changed for me that is awesome <laughs> but um but i i I, t- I totally know that feeling and and i'm grateful that i haven't been in that place I, even when i feel depressed which i still do i'm able to hold on to that feeling of being like no people would would actually be sad the lie is that it would be good for them and i can recognize that those feelings, you know, in the church we're taught that Jesus Christ is the source of all peace. And I have wondered so hard why a, a I was gonna say a handful of us, but it's way more than that. Yeah. A bunch of us um for some reason need to get through without that. Like, do you do you feel like you have received that peace or do you feel like for me, I feel even when I'm feeling good, um, I have had to rely on, and and this is gonna, this is getting pretty religious, but um, rely on that hope of Christ and meaning like I have hope that one day I will feel that peace that everyone keeps yeah. talking about because I don't know if that's meant for me in this life.
1: My good is a muted good. Right. Like, my good doesn't seem to be, like, other people's good. Um, I always feel like my good's a couple levels sadder. Mm-hmm. And there's just this, you know, sadness that it that never seems to leave. But I also think that because of that sadness, I have more empathy than Absolutely. maybe other people do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were talking about how, you know, kind of bad things, um, I attract bad things. I also attract sad people in a way, and we get to talk and process and like, um, an experience we were just talking about today that I won't share in detail, but this, you know, stranger I met came and told me this extremely personal story about this, like incredible loss he and his wife had experienced. And then he, he says afterward, he said, I never told anybody that. And I'm glad that I can be someone that, that people can share this with. And kind of toss it into my dark hole, you know, and they're burdened a, a little bit less because someone listened to them and understood that sadness and grief and loss. So, I mean, there's there's strength in it, but I wish there was a way to just kind of fill that hole up for a while. Right. You know, because even in um, even my happiest times is still a very, I'm very aware that, okay, I'm really going to live this moment up because it's going to fall right out from under me. Because you know, and, and what, next time I slide, I'm going to
0: slide for six months, you know, and it's... Do you ever get frustrated with the notion of um, when people say God won't give you anything that you can't handle? Because uh, I feel like he very often gives things to people that is way more than they can handle.
1: The way that I look at that, I don't think God gives you something that you can't handle with help. <laughs> I I can't handle it alone. We can't handle it alone. But there's always someone that has experienced what you've experienced or maybe hasn't, but wants to be that empathetic, you know, helpful hand for you. Um, I think if I was completely isolated, well, I mean, I know I would be dead if I didn't have children. I wouldn't. I would have already taken my life by now. But I feel like there are so many people now that are coming forward and saying, like, I experienced this there's still a lot of stigma to it, but there's so much less than there used to be. Mm-hmm. Or maybe people are just being braver about it. That might be it. It might just be tired of hiding it, you know? Yeah. And just by saying, hey, you know, I deal with depression. And then a couple of my friends are like, well, I deal with depression. So it's great to be like, I'm not alone in this. I'm sorry you're depressed. I kind of maybe know how to help a little bit. Like like um, for me... There are a couple of ways that I deal with my depression. Number one, I know that there are going to be days that I'm going to be totally down and out. So like, for example, I have, and and I forget to eat when I'm depressed a lot just because who, bleh, who wants to? <laughs> or, or I eat way too much because mm-hmm. I'm stuffing my feelings. But I'll have a, I have a can of mandarin oranges that I always have in my fridge. So there, and it's a pole top can. Mm-hmm. Because when you're really depressed, and for those that, you know, don't know this, the idea of getting a can opener and opening a can to feed yourself is, like, way outside of your realm mm-hmm. of what you can physically do. It is
0: too much. And for anyone who's never experienced that, I'm sure that sounds completely bizarre. Yeah. Like...
1: like it sounds like a lie. And like, it's pull it together and right, open that can. Like,
0: okay, drama queen, can't get a can opener, but I have had moments where I have been sitting in a chair and I think of some simple thing, like, I can... I remember specifically one time watching my child walking around in a super droopy, saggy diaper. But the thought of getting up and like going through the whole process of getting the diaper, making that child lie down so that I could take off their diaper, they're going to be wriggly, brought me to tears. It was like more than I could handle more than you can do and And it's and it. i think what's important for people to understand is it's it's not about um it's not about like this task is so overwhelming that we can't overcome there there's something happening in your thought process that is making any thought it doesn't matter how minor it is so so overwhelming not because the task itself is that hard to overcome, but because your capacity to do anything is is stunted into a tiny little nothing. Right. Exactly.
1: It is. It you cannot do it. So you have mandarin oranges. So with I a have pull mandarin top. oranges with the with a pull top, and that's my if I'm super depressed, try and eat something at least once a day. There's some mandarin, and it's and they're cold, mm-hmm. so they're delicious. And I don't eat them because I save them for when I know that I'm going to need them. And I hate that there's that I know I'm going to need them, you know, but I try and have a couple little snacks that I can just get. They'll be super easy. Here's an apple. Take two bites. Okay, good for you, you know, and if you're if you have a friend that's depressed or a loved one that's depressed, if you can't be supportive, stay away. Yeah. There is nothing worse than someone coming to help you. And I do that in air quotes that just make you feel worse about yourself. Look at this place. It's a mess. You need to clean up, blah, blah, blah. Listen, our, our brains are already telling us how worthless we are. We don't need an outside source that supposedly loves us, which is why you're coming to help us. Right. Make us feel worse. So I think if you have someone that's depressed, the best thing you can do is just drop by some food. You know, here's mm-hmm. this. I made you this. I brought you this. Um, why don't you go hop in the shower? I've turned it on for
0: you. It's a nice, comfortable temperature. I will wash your sheets while you're in the shower. Absolutely. The, I feel like one of the very worst things that you can say to uh, someone just in the depths of a of a depressive spiral is, what can I do for you? Because you, you are yeah. forcing them to try to make a decision about something when they cannot even function. Right. The very best thing to do is just like you said, I have turned on a shower for you. You don't even have to worry about setting the temperature. Just go take a shower. Yeah. I have brought you this food. I have done this thing for you. I'm, I am wiping your countertop right now. You did not ask me to wipe your countertop. I'm just wiping your right. countertop. So, that is love.
1: Show me that you love me when I'm unlovable. Yeah. When I can't get in that shower, when I
0: can't, you know, make my own bed. I've done this for you. I'll, I'll, I'll do this for you. And if you turn on a shower for a depressed person and they say I can't do it, then you say that's okay too. Yeah. Exactly. Because maybe just the act of washing their hair is more than they can, than they can yeah. do that day.
1: And if you're depressed, you don't have to wash your hair if you can't. If you want to get in and if you can get in and sluice off and then wrap up in a fluffy towel, that's enough.
0: Okay, so thinking about what you have to do. This is this is what I often think about about you. I have been in your home with you, <laughs> with your children, and I have seen the way that Nico comes up to you and he asks you, What time are we doing this? When are we doing this? Mom, this question. Mom, give me kisses. Mom, whisper, tell me a secret. Mom, 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 mom. And all kids are mom, 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 mom. But his is extra. Yeah. And he's in your face and he wants the butterfly kisses. I his comfort item. Right. How do you do that when you can't do anything?
1: I do it. I do it. I do it to the expense of feeding myself mm-hmm. and the expense of sleeping. And it's hard. Um, but I, I I do it to a lesser degree sometimes. Like I'll make appointments to talk with him. If he wants kisses, I can say, We'll do kisses at three, because I can't do kisses at one and one thirty and one forty five and I can do kisses but at But then three. he's asking
0: when 3 o'clock yes. is all the
1: time. Yes. <laughs> she knows my son. Yes, you know
0: him. But how can I not? You just, I know. You just, just do. do. Yep. And that is one of the reasons why I think you are one of the most beautiful souls that I know. Thank you. Because you just do. You just do. And um, I, I have said many times... Um, You know, I I, I tend to come in contact a lot with people for whom going to church is difficult because there have been many times in my life where going to church is difficult. Um, It can be painful when you're not fitting right in with the mainstream for whatever reason. And going to church can be a painful thing. And I have known people who have placed a lot of guilt on themselves for not loving to go to church because they think if I'm doing the right thing for the wrong reason, then it doesn't count. And I say to them, if you have a child and you say to both, you have two children and you say to both children, I need you to read this book. One of them loves to read and one of them hates to read, but they both read the book. Which one are you more proud of? The one for whom it was easy, are the one who did it even though it was hard. And so, when I see people doing, just doing the thing, when I know that it may be a, an outwardly simple thing, but they, I know that they are holding on by their fingernails. I honor those people, and I honor you because I see you do that a lot, even from afar. Thank you. So I just love you. I, <laughs> I love your I face. you. Too. We're having a major love fest over here and just letting people be. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So um just because I think it's interesting and I think other people would think it's interesting and and it could be helpful too. Um, would you mind sharing your experience about um your pregnancy with your triplets?
1: Yeah, so um I finally um when I was in my thirties decided that, um, I was going to ask for antidepressants mm-hmm. and that was a huge step because that, that was giving up. I couldn't muscle Man, through it on I my own. I can't believe you lasted
0: that long without them.
1: Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> there's, there was a lot, there was a lot of pressure and I had a lot of pressure from my, um, husband's family to, and They didn't believe in antidepressants, and it,
0: oh, you were getting pressure from them not to take them. Yeah, I was wondering because I'm thinking, why? Why do people? I was resistant for a long time too. I thought that somehow it made me weak, deficient. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's what I'd always—that's uh, what I always been taught. You know, pray harder,
1: mm-hmm. Joni. Right. And and that's what I you know pray harder, work harder, exercise more, think better thoughts. And I'm like, I'm doing everything I can. And I am just, mm-hmm. I am just drowning. Yeah. So I finally went and I talked to my doctor and I didn't really like my doctor, but she put me on some meds and, and, uh, I was on those for a little bit. And then I found out I was pregnant with triplets a little bit later. And that was, that was something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so not,
0: we, not like fertility drugs or anything no, like that. No, Naturally pregnant <laughs> no with triplets. we were actually
1: on, you know,
0: birth control and uh <laughs> <laughs> so we
1: had you know this this um eight-year-old with special needs mm-hmm. and then I had a four-year-old who was having seizures at the time oh, and then you know congratulations we're pregnant and I'm like okay we can do this we can do this and they're like and it's twins and we're like okay we can do that right and then there's triplets and my husband I remember him because he was holding my my tiny daughter at the time sat down on the floor of the room of the ultrasound. He's just like, I just just sat right down on the floor for a minute. It's like, I'm just going to sit right here. And, um, we were really excited, but really overwhelmed. Yeah. But I also remember, well, this explains why I'm so hungry all of the time. There are four people in my body (laughs) and it was like, you know, possession of the best kind, but like it was, you know, and then I found out later that, um, two of the twins the twins were in like one sack and then Lilia was in a separate sack mm-hmm. two of the twins had something called olibar holoprosencephaly, which is this huge words that mean that they had one third of their brains um, it was very small there was water on the brain um, a whole bunch of physical deformities and one of them passed away and um, how far
0: along were you when that first one passed
1: away? <sighs> oh, fa- fairly early I would say maybe four months. okay that's that's still. I mean I was super attached yeah, yeah. but um, and and the concern was that the other one uh, the one that passed away first was Daisy um the second one Seja. The concern was that if Seja who also had this and would, was incompatible with life and we knew she would she would if she was born. She would die immediately. there was no way that she could possibly live, and that was really hard um and but if she passed away in utero, they were afraid that that would force me to miscarry Lilia, yeah, the healthy so it was like you know damned if you do, damned if you don't and and I remember, and this was really hard. I remember shopping for um a a crib and a casket on the same day oh my. And how difficult that was to be like, I'm so excited for my babies to be born so I can meet them. But as soon as this one's born, she's going to die. Mm-hmm. And so by wishing for her to be born, I felt like I was wishing for her death. And it was just very conflicting. And I had two other kids at home. And and um, anyway, I went back to that doctor and, you know, and she said, well, you know what caused this, right? It was your antidepressants. <gasps> She said, if oh, your antidepressants geez. are what caused this in your your children. And I had so much shame and guilt. And if I had just struggled through more without these antidepressants, maybe my children wouldn't, you know, have, have been cursed with something that I had done. And I was just so upset. And I ended up going, you know. That's um, awful. She Well, she stopped practicing soon after that. Oh, um, and I went to... Um, a specialist, you know, to help me with the pregnancy. And he was like, that is not true. He's like, that is absolutely untrue. She should not say, he, he was so livid that it made me feel better. But I still to this day kind of wonder if there, you know, right. Cause you always, if anyone screws up, it's you, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, and then there's shame. Like I, I couldn't, my body couldn't carry triplets, you know? And, and um, eventually they were born and Sage lived for five hours and she was, beautiful she um had so many physical deformities that you know she had one eye socket and two eyes in that one socket uh, she didn't have a nose but she had a proboscis on her forehead and a cleft little cleft palate and her little she had feet that club feet mm-hmm. and she was so tiny and just beautiful and I thought I'd be afraid to look at her mm-hmm. because I knew you know through ultrasound they're like okay we can tell there's going to be you know some issues obviously and but she was so sweet and she was so beautiful and her spirit just felt too big for that little broken body. Mm. Like, and we held her and she lived for five hours and passed away. And I remember Luke was holding her. And I remember when he turned to me Did and said, she just breathe through her mouth. She breathed through her mouth. And we actually have video of her going <sighs> once oh my just goodness. that was so, and that was the only, cause she couldn't move. Yeah. And I remember when my husband turned to me afterward and said, you know, her body's beginning to cool. And we had lost her. And uh, that was really difficult. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. That was difficult, but there was still so much relief. Because she wasn't in a body that would survive. And thank goodness I had this other little girl. Mm -hmm. If I'd lost all three of them, I think that would have been too much. So um, Lilia was in NICU for two months. And we would visit her every day. We had to leave her there. I
0: actually busted out of the hospital. For the she, were they born early? Is that why she was? Yeah, they were was, two months early. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And just tiny. Like, um, they were both the size where you could take a regular handkerchief and put it over the two of them like a quilt. Oh, my god! Like, they could both share that one handkerchief. I have their baby blanket, and it's it's that size. And I had to bust out of the hospital because they wouldn't let me out because um, I wasn't doing very well to go to the funeral. Oh, my god! I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm going. Zoom. And then, you know, we came back and checked on Lil, and it was just... Difficult to to bury one and then drive two hours. Well, it was four hours back, four hours back, and uh, take turns in NICU and and
0: she's eight now. She's healthy, healthy and happy, and talks about her sisters all the time. That's, you know, I think that's so beautiful that she yeah she knows about them and feels connected to them. Yeah, and- draws pictures all the time with her
1: holding hands with her sisters, and and it's it's hard to have dealt with that, but so many people have lost. Children, and and when we kind of were open about that, I was amazed at how many people were like, Oh, you know, I experienced that, or you know, I I had something similar. And it's this like grief that so many people share, but just don't talk about because we don't know how to grieve in our
0: society. It's so true, it's so true. And I think, I think, um, you know, I've never lost a child, I've never had a miscarriage, and I feel really lucky that way. Like, I hated my pregnancies so much, yet. I can say that at the end, I had a healthy baby every time, and I and um, I do I feel that um, kind of tendency when I hear a story like yours or someone else who's had, whether it be several miscarriages or maybe um, maybe a, a late term loss or maybe a SIDS baby or something like that, where I do feel that tendency to shy away from the discomfort of talking about it because I think I I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to bring up sadness for them if maybe they're not in a sad place right now. But when I tap into what I think I would feel if I was in the same situation, I don't want people to ignore my babies. I don't want people to forget that I had those babies. I would want to to talk about them and be able to process that grief. And so I, I have erred on the side of if I offend or if I bring up sadness where they didn't want it, um, I'm going to take the chance. I'd rather take the chance and let them, because more often than not, people are like, thank you for letting me letting talk, me about, talk them. about it. Yeah. Because you, as the griever, are trying so hard to make everyone else comfortable. Isn't that the truth? I've noticed that with depression also. Yeah. That people who are in the most pain because they have depression are also masking it as much as possible to lessen the discomfort of everyone else. Around exactly. Them. Robin Williams, right? Yes. The perfect
1: example. Yes. Yeah. You know, and it's so funny because we just. We all want to help each other. We just don't know how. Mm-hmm. And we're all tiptoeing around it. And I think that being open and honest with it kind of just takes that away. Like, if I'm like, listen, I have depression, the people are like, oh, okay, now I know. And kind of know what to expect a little bit.
0: Or... And, and do you find, like I have found, more than you would expect, people being like, oh, me too. Oh, yeah. You know, like... Way this, more than it's, I would It's expect. almost like... Um, it's like putting on a badge, and then everyone feels like they can take their badge out, too.
1: Right, exactly. And it's more comfortable. Like, um, I was talking to somebody today, and he's like, you know, and then I kind of started having trouble with my mental issues. And I was like, I love that you feel that you can say that, and that I can be a person that you can say that, too, and not be like, uh, you know, like, just admitting that every now and then, geez, we're not perfect, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm also interested, and I was really reading a really good article I'll have to send you sometime, Joni, about... I'm interested why so many people have depression
0: now, right?
1: What it is.
0: And I think anxiety. Yes. Yeah.
1: And I was reading this article that talked about, you know, because before we were focusing on, we're working hard to get through the day and we're doing physical labor and we're doing all these things. And now we have so many things done for us that we have time to worry. And we also are so interconnected, like with social media that we're Tuned into everything and like her brains aren't meant to process. process
0: exactly. I, I really think, as um, as especially my children deal with anxiety and oh, yeah. they have a lot of friends who deal with anxiety as well. And I think that, you know, obviously I was a teenager with mental illness and I think that I probably had several acquaintances and friends also with mental illness and we just weren't aware of it and talking about it. But I do think that instances are rising. Um, and, and I do think part of it is because we are so inundated with so much information to process. Right. Our brains just don't know
1: how to handle it. Right. And it's so negative. Negative, negative, negative. Which is important to look at the negative issues. You have to. But there has to be a counterbalance. You know, there has to be, look, this is a terrible day, but the sun is shining Let's enjoy that for a minute, you know? And I really try and do that with my kids. Like, I'll point out, and this has helped me a lot, I'll point out a really good moment. I'll be like, look look at us. We're all on the couch. We're all under a blanket. We are watching a movie, and I'm listening to you guys giggle, and this is a beautiful moment. And I'll ask them to point out a beautiful moment that they had that day. And I love that they'll remember, like, they'll they'll grab a beautiful moment, and tuck it away because they know I'm going to ask them. And I'm hoping that will help us all kind of appreciate. Yeah, kind things. of cultivate that appreciation. Yeah. Like, because I feel like we're all kind of just, you know, like we're on on guard all the time, ty- all the time. And we're ready for the other two to fall and we're ready to spring into action and to just like take a moment to breathe and be like, no, this is beautiful, you know. And that's really helped me just kind of slow the pace down and and be more aware because my brain I mean I've always had anxiety. I am this is awful. I pick pulled out like all my eyelashes when I was in third grade Mm, because mm -hmm. that's how I would deal with the anxiety, right? Just pick, 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 pick. And um I still struggle with that. I have to actively not. And I find that when I get, you know, in those kind of loops, I'll have to pull out that moment. And it used to be like my marsh cat, I had this beautiful cat that would come and sit on my lap and petting him, that was a beautiful moment, or, you know, snuggling with the kids, or you hear a a bird that sounds, you know, super goofy, you know, and uh, (laughs) by actively, you know, we have this one, bird around our house and it's a dip and it does it in the middle of the night too it's midnight and it's all like (laughs)
0: just to be clear this isn't not a pet bird it's just just a bird bird. that lives near your house it's a (laughs) random
1: stupid bird that lives in our backyard i think maybe and it is like you know it's midnight and all the other you know normal birds are asleep and it's out there like (laughs) and it's like the weirdest little call it's and i've taken video of it and i'm like stupid bird and it like you know back at me a little bit, but I mean, that's a beautiful, I'm fond of that little dip, you know, and, and by, by finding and actively looking, it helps me as, because I do believe you find what you're looking for, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for those negative moments, oh, they're going to be there, you know, and by actively looking for those positive moments, you know, that's what we're fighting for. That's what we're doing. Absolutely.
0: In fact, at the end of, um, Every episode of the podcast, I do a, I, I, after the interview is over, I do a bright spot moment where I just f- talk about one of those things in my life because awesome. I, I also feel like I need to, re- like notice and tuck them away because sometimes you need a cache of them when you're running low right. in your memory bank where you can be like. No, I I remember feeling joy. I remember feeling gratitude and beauty and any number of those things. And, And it's a lot easier for me if I have banked specific examples of those things. Right. Because sometimes when my mind is searching for them, if I haven't set aside like an index card in my brain about, no, this was something I loved and appreciated, I can't find them. And so I have to make special notes to remember them. Right. It's like that
1: song, catch a falling star and put yeah. it in your pocket and save it for a rainy day. Like, when you're in those depths, you you feel like you'll never find anything of worth again. Mm-hmm. And I will say, you know, is what if this is it? What if this is as good as it gets? Right. And, and it never gets bright again. But by doing that, like... I saw something beautiful once. I will see something beautiful again. You know,
0: absolutely.
1: My um, Angelo had this really amazing quote that says, um, "The storm will
0: eventually run out of rain." Exactly. You know, yes. And, and and it's it's really interesting because over the years, I have developed my own personal mantra for depression, and it and uh, I came to it kind of organically and on my own. But since I have discovered my mantra. I have, through talking to other people, and we have touched upon both aspects of my mantra just in this conversation without me bringing them up, which is, number one, depression is not who you are. It is an experience that you are having. And number two, it will not always feel like this. And so when I am very, very, very deep in it, I will say those two phrases to myself over and over hundreds and thousands of times. This is not who you are, and it will not always feel like this. This is not who you are, and it will not always feel like this. And through talking to other people and listening to other people talk about depression, I have found that that those are the two main points that people keep returning to in a in ways that can be lastingly helpful, and so it reinforces to me that I that I've really hit upon it. Because even just now, we've been talking about how it's, it we remember that we have felt good in the past, and there is hope to feel good again. And so I I, I feel very validated. You are so validated. <laughs> like you are so wise. I am so smart. <laughs> you are
1: so wise beyond <laughs> your years. You just are. You just have that instinct for truth and.
0: Anyway, so um, I would like you, if you would like to, um, promote yourself just a little bit because um, (laughs) I, before I ever knew you as a person, I fell in love with your work. And so I hope that, um, why don't, I would like to hear your opinion about what you say to people when they say they don't like horror Because I have had people be like, "Oh, I just don't like horror," because they think that horror equals slasher. The right. Um, I tell them horror is, and
1: horror is a
0: tricky word. We're saying h o r r o r. -R 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 -R.
1: Yeah, I asked someone if they were going to the horror conference, and. (laughs) And they they look at me, and I'm like, yeah, like, I'm a, yeah, yeah whor- horror, 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 horror. The horror conference. Especially since I live in Vegas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you need to be really clear.
1: <laughs> horror. <laughs> so horror is all about morality. And that's what makes it all between, you know, about good and evil. And if you don't have a moral compass, um, I don't think you'll enjoy horror. And I think most people do. Horror is all about emotion and it's about bonding people together and finding an experience. And horror has a stigma, but at the same time, we all we all appreciate it. Like I just had a class um, last week and, and I said to everybody in class, I said, where were you on 9-11? Do you remember where you were? And every person, we were all strangers. Most of us were strangers. Every person was like, yeah, I was in school and my teacher's turned it on or I was home and you know my husband told me to watch the TV and and we were talking about it and how it made us feel and I mean everybody that's listening right now where were you you remember where you were you remember how you felt you remember who you reached out to and we were this class of like strangers and suddenly we all had something in common mm-hmm. and we were bonded by that. And my daughters were learning about nine eleven, And I was like, I can tell you where I was. And, you know, and, and for them, that was such a faraway experience that happened before they were born. You know what? And I'm like, I remember that day and it changed everything. Mm-hmm. And the horror of that and that experience and that fear and that dread and that what's going to happen to us bonds us all together and that's one of the things I love about horror is that you you share an experience and a good horror will get down to your emotion and it's all about feeling. And I would say that there is definitely horror for everybody. I don't like slasher. I don't like gore. Some people love like splatter punk and and torture porn and that sort of thing. I don't for me That doesn't uplift me and make my soul feel good. Right. But what does is like Stephen King's The Stand. Right. And different horrors that make you think and feel and reevaluate and hold what is precious to you. Hold that closer. And the good thing about horror is you can always shut the book, turn the TV off. You control it. You can tell it when it's ending. You can open it on your own terms. And you can talk about it. And you can close the book and go hang out with your kids.
0: I think that's one of the things, I, I came to horror late because, um, you know, particularly in the environment that I was raised, uh, there was definitely that stigma of it doesn't invite good, noble feelings, and so we avoid it. But what I have found, first as a writer of horror, is that I am able to take something that I am afraid of and exert my own control over it. So I can, I can write about something, whether it be an issue or um, a fear that I have and, and I get to write the ending. And even if the ending isn't a happy one, I feel like I have some understanding over it because I got to dictate how that ended. And when I read horror, um, you know, I think that there are really fundamental emotions that we all have, and love is one of them, and, um, you know, empathy, kindness, all these things, comedy, but fear is something so primal that we all experience, and by, by reading about things that either elicit fear or discomfort. That's another thing about horror. Horror doesn't necessarily have to be about something terrifying. It can just be something that is vaguely discomforting or just strange or odd or, you know, like it It encompasses a lot. But like you said, when you allow yourself to explore those feelings in a safe environment, I actually think it makes us more capable of dealing with the real fear in our lives because we've already allowed ourselves to be more comfortable with those kinds of emotions and and process them if we can process them in a fictional way, right, then it's it's maybe easier for like like you said, a lot of people who write and read horror tend to be pretty well adjusted, right, which may be counterintuitive. But I think it's because they're allowing that aspect of their emotional circle to not be, you know, um, a- avoided and unexplored. Right. It's to process what scares you
1: in a safe environment. Yeah. And yeah, I i also think the good thing about horror, something that speaks to me personally, is there's always someone standing up to the horror. There's always someone that's like, here's the big bad I'm going to fight that. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I think that's why I like true crime so much because you see these people doing terrible things and then you see all the people that are racing. We've got to find that guy. We've got to figure this out. we we need justice. We need, you know, you've, it, it's people standing up to the things that are scary and the people standing up to the things that are wrong. And I just, I love that. I love that about people. Um, when um, you're talking about promoting my favorite book I ever wrote, it's called Pretty Little Dead Girls. And it's about this girl that's destined to be murdered. And it's very whimsical. And there's a serial killer, but he's quite likable, even though he's a bad guy. <laughs> but the whole thing is this girl's destined to be murdered. Her name's Bryony Adams. And everyone sees her. And it's, it's speculative fiction. It's very fairy esque you know. And, and um, they all look at her and like, oh, she's going to die, poor thing. But they try their hardest to, even though that's her in- inevitable end, they try their very hardest to hold fate back. You know they like okay we'll protect you we'll take care of you we'll move you from town to town, and to me it's a sad book but it's also a very feel good book. When I'm when I'm sad, um, that's something that makes me feel better. And I've probably one of the biggest compliments I've ever received is is people will say you know my friend was really sad so I sent her a copy of this book because it will make her feel better it will make her feel loved it'll make her see the good in people and that I mean.
0: That is so nice to me. That makes me so happy. So, And I love that you're um, you're turning it into a graphic novel. Yes,
1: I am. Um, yeah, Orion Zangara is doing the art. And I'm working on the script. And I actually have my stuff here so I can finish the script while I'm here in this mm-hmm. Airbnb. And um, we're doing it in three parts. And it is so fun. And it's so good to revisit those characters. And to see his art and how he sees these characters that I wrote. It's just... It's amazing, so I'm 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 so excited about that. It'll be so fun. It's just a
0: happy thing to work on, you mm-hmm. know. I do think, um, I think that 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 Pretty Little Dead Girls probably is my favorite of yours, but followed closely with Nameless, oh. which which is different. It's very different, but um, I just that the main character of that one uh, faces a lot of like paranormal kind of demon people and she's just such a baddie a, and i i love that like i love thank you i love her <laughs> she's snarky
1: and tragic and awesome and just uh, an outsider in every way mm-hmm. and she it's about a girl named luna masterson who sees demons and she sees them everywhere and her brother thinks she's crazy and She's, she meets a guy named Reed Taylor who can see angels. And she's like, how is this fair that you see these beautiful beings of light? And I see these like horrific demons. And he's like, you know, he had like, is a recovering like heroin addict because he's like, H- I'm not worthy to see these beings of light. And when I see how wonderful and light they are, I see
0: how awful I am. And right. so it just sends I down. I loved this. those themes that you, that you explored there. In fact, I think that that was actually the first book. I think I judged that, and so that was the first experience that I had with you, and I'm like, I do not know who this chick is, but <laughs> I need to know this person. But at that point, I didn't even know that there was a there was an avenue for me to actually know you, because there are so many authors that I read, and I think what a cool i bet this person is so cool and then then that's as far as it goes you know so i feel so lucky and now here we are with my my blanket i know we're just (laughs) sitting on the same bed it's just you could totally murder me and nobody i could oh i took my earrings
1: off i was wearing little
0: knife earrings (laughs) earlier there Well um thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Oh this me. is and a pleasure. I just adore you. You know I adore you. And uh, I I look forward to many many years of friendship ahead. But I I really do feel like when when God was like making people he took the same stuff and and we were made in the molds right next to each other. I know something. we were
1: we were holding hands it's when true. we were made. I would also like to point out that I wrote a story called Beautiful Legions. That has Joni as a main character. So when that comes out, <laughs> I'm so excited. I will when that comes out,
0: I will use that as my bright spot and tell people about it. Oh, excellent. Okay. Well, it's so fun. And I get to turn this off, but I still get to hang out with you even though everybody else doesn't get Ha-ha. to so. <laughs> the end. Bye everybody. <laughs> and now it's time for a bright spot. Oh, my bright spot today comes from Mercedes. She told me about this thing while we were hanging out uh, during the interlude between this episode and now. And it's a podcast that is also a musical. It is a fiction podcast. And it's unlike anything I've ever really heard before. It's called 36 Questions. It's I can't remember if it's three or four episodes, but it's a limited episode run, and it tells a fictional story of two people and how they reconcile a pretty big problem in their marriage. And it's interesting. It has sound design that would make it sound like, you know, there's other sounds in their environment. There's a duck that you can hear quacking, and there's thunderstorms that you can hear. And um, the actors are... Just that, actors and singers. And then every now and then, it's very scripted. It come They break into song. And I have not yet heard a fictional musical podcast. I love that people are taking this platform and switching around mediums in a way that we can have all new content. And it's really, really a charming story. If you love musicals, I really think that you will like it a lot. Um, and because it has a set number of episodes, it's not that big of a commitment. So I think that you should check it out. It's called 36 Questions, and uh, I listen to it on the Stitcher app, but I would guess that it's available anywhere that podcasts are available. If you want to be a part of the Say What Is Truth community, give me an email, and hey, we're five episodes in now. Ooh, six? Six episodes in now. If you are liking what you're hearing... This is what I would like to ask from you. If you could leave me a rating and a review, or just a rating, but reviews are great, on iTunes, then it will help me gain more visibility, help other people find the show. Uh, In this world, ratings pretty much rule the success or failure of your show. Also, if you're really liking it, tell your friends about it. I'm really eager to... um, not feel like I'm just alone in my basement recording these episodes, but also to hear from other people in the community. And if anything has helped you, or if you're noticing a deficiency in the way that I'm doing this again, podcasting is a pretty new adventure for me. So I'm happy for any advice, any encouragement, or if you really want to be a guest, I'm I'd be so pleased to meet you and hear your story. So again, that is is saywhatistruth at gmail.com. And until the next episode, be a light and say what is truth.